Amen. I've been riding this storm with you from the day one, and I just want to share a little uh, of my heart about what's going on in our nation right now, and I want to give you my pastoral guidance. Can I do that? So can I talk about politics? <laughs> amen, amen. So here's my heart. I believe that there are a lot of things that are going on in our nation that do need to be uncovered and that uh, I don't think are being handled correctly. I think the election was an example of one of those things. I also think the way of handling COVID. I also think what was going on with BLM and the different things that were happening. But what I don't want to do, listen to me, saints, what I don't want to do is to be the tail to somebody's dog that's going to use and abuse us as Christians. Are you listening to me? We are the head and not the tail. They follow us. Conservatives follow us. I don't follow conservatives. Are you guys listening to me? Fox News follows us. I don't follow them. We are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been through all the empires. We've been through the Roman Empire. We've been through the Byzantine Empire. We've been through the Ottoman Empire. We've been through all the different empires, and we're going to remain whether this empire remains or stands. Okay, amen? And so I do want to offer you my counsel at this time. There are a lot of conspiracies that I think are trying to throw us off about what we need to do. And here's my word to you. Here's my word. In three months, if Biden is not president and we are in a civil war and something is going down, I will admit to you that a lot of what QAnon and these people are saying is right. But if Biden is president, you're still going to your job and everything has been as normal. Will you admit that a lot of those conspiracies were wrong? Okay, because we got to be, be honest with ourselves. So hold on to whatever you believe. You can hold on to it. But I'm just saying, when are we going to admit that some of these things have duped us as Christians? One man said that on November, we were going to see a revolution happen at the White House. That didn't happen. Other things they said was going to get exposed, it didn't happen. i got to hold these people accountable to that, okay? A lot of prophets now are trying to back up and change their words and different things. And I said from the very beginning, I'll let prophets do what prophets got to do. But what I'm not going to do is compromise my integrity as a man of God. Now, some of you, this is something new to you. You're new to conspiracies. You're new to things, <clears throat> excuse me, going on underneath the surface. How many were around? Uh, saved during 2010, uh, 2000 Y2K. See, only a few of you are, were even saved at that time. How many remember for like almost a whole decade we had to hear about what that was? See, I'm seeing some heads nod here about what was going to happen at 2000, what was going to happen, this was it, this was, books were coming out, churches were coming out. And, and, and listen, I said, I'm open to it. I'll look at the evidence, et cetera, et cetera. And then when it came and went, no one said they were sorry. No one cleared it up. All that stuff went on in the church, and it just happened. And not as big, but same thing with 9-11. Many of you might not have been saved during 9-11. I went through all of that. This is inside. This is going to be this. This is going to be that. Not God showed me 9-11 was this, and then this, and then this. And it kept going on and on for about five to ten years. And when their predictions of what they thought was going to happen didn't happen, we just had to sit back as a church and go, well, we're still here. Now, let me just let you guys know something. We should protest, and we should believe uh, what, you know, what's going on that is true. And I do think a lot of things were done wrong during the elections and so forth, and I think it's good to protest. But I want everybody to get this. Somebody say Babylon. You are in Babylon, my friends, Babylon. And you need to know how to succeed in Babylon. 
You know what was happening when that guy was dressed up like uh, the Viking guy and he was running up through there? And that is who he says. I don't know who told you guys that that wasn't that guy from QAnon, but he's a QAnon guy. Another person got uh, fired from their job in Chicago. These guys are conservative. They have their records going all the way back. There might have been open doors. I I get you. There might have been conspiracies going on there. But let let me tell you what happened while these knuckleheads were getting arrested by breaking our United States laws. You know what happened? Elon Musk became the richest person of the world while the stock skyrocketed. And you see, a lot of us, we're going to get used and abused, and we're going to be thrown into jails in Babylon while we're supposed to be prospering and having a place at the table until Jesus comes back because he told them, in Babylon, you need to be successful here. And so you got to understand this. We're going to protest. We're going to stand up for our rights. In three months, I'll stand here and say if I was wrong on this thing goes. Because in three months, let's mark it down. All of January, all of February, all of March. Are you willing to walk this journey with me as your pastor? Because we are the head. We are not the tail. We do not follow their fake conspiracy theories. We follow the word of God. If they're, if they're, if they're exposing something, then show it to me. I'll believe it. Show it to the people that we can do it. And if, and if there's unsettled things, then pray for God to bring it out. Pray for God to bring it out. But once again, there was a lot of things that have already been promised that have not happened and I'm not going to let you as a church just follow foolishness. If it can be proven and let it be true, if not just say, Lord I ask you to show my pastor what is right, okay? Because I'm going to tell you what I feel God is saying. That's what I've been, I've been doing that. I did that during Y2K. I said, chances are he won't come back during that time, but if he does come back I will be ready for him. Are you listening? I said I'll be ready. And then, then during the 9-11, well this is a conspiracy and the FBI blew up its own buildings and the CIA did this and then Jesus is going to exposes. I said, okay, if that's what's going to happen, I'm going to be ready for that. But you know what happened during Y2K? All the Christians and all that sold all their property, and then we went into a boom right before the recession, and they lost all the the, the proceeds that they could have had during that. Are you listening? They know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. They position themselves for these things, and we're falling into their traps while we're playing around over here. And it may be, like I said, some true things, but we're going to fall into their traps because they're going to keep playing us like that. So now these CEOs, they're arrested. These people are arrested. They're blasting it all over the place. And what hypocrisy it is because BLM killed dozens if not hundreds of lives, beating people in public all over the place, politicians celebrating it for months and months and months, and yet one one conservative thing goes awry with probably some some, some suspect things happening, and now they are just going to drill it in. This person did this, and this person did that. When you don't see it with the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, like this leader was at this riot that turned into that. You, You see that they didn't have no consequences for that. So yes, I do believe there's a lot of things that we should be cautious of during these times. But remember, sister, brother, you are the head. You are the head. They follow us. So if God has given you a word, put it on the word of the Lord. Show it to me in three months, and I'll take a look at it because I trust you more than most of these prophets out there because I think a lot of them are prophesying, and I know a lot of them are prophesying. I'll tell you why, because they not only prophesy about Trump, they prophesy about a lot of things, and then they got caught with Trump, and that's why I have a problem with them. They don't go on the streets. They don't preach the gospel, really. They're not making disciples, and they shucked and jived. Now, I do believe like Lance Walnew and others had prophecies in the first term, and some of you weren't even saved during that time. I was <laughs> saved, saved during that whole time, uh, believing that God was going to use Trump as a Cyrus figure. So I'm not throwing it all out. I'm saying we better pick and choose through the word of God and be ready to stand our ground. And I don't say this to boast, but remember, I set us up as a church in the stocks. We made money as a church. When that market went up, I didn't put in a lot. I said, it still can go crazy. I said, but I guarantee you, there's a lot of people waiting to dump money into this thing the moment they hear that uh, Biden is president. And what, what happened? Boom, that thing skyrocketed right up. 
And uh, praise God, we as a church have some of our money in there. I, I had my money set up in there, and I said, man, God, if you're going to make the wicked rich, I'm going to get rich with them in Jesus' name so I can have more, to give more, to do more, to supplant what they're doing in the kingdom of God. So I love you. Amen. So the Lord released me to preach on the book of Revelation. Somebody say, reveal it, reveal it, pastor. Book of Revelation chapter 1. Let me give you some insight to the book of Revelation. Those of you who have joined with me before this, you know that I've been preaching on the things happening in our culture and society. And trust me, if a civil war breaks out, I will, I will interrupt the Revelation series. I will apologize to you, and I'll just go right back to preaching revival or riot. But I felt the Lord release me to go back to preaching verse by verse through the scriptures to equip and teach the people of God. Some of you who were around before then are excited. You know how we do this. I'm ready to be your preacher at any time on the world events. I have no problem with it, and I have no problem with making people sad and glad on Sundays. That's what happens. It just is what it is. But I have to make Jesus glad more than anything else. And I was between the book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, and an end-time series, and then I just really felt the Lord say, let's start with Revelation. So this is going to be where we're at. It may take some time. Those of you who have been around uh, know that the book of Ephesians, a short book, six chapters, took us over a year year. Uh, Matthew only has 28 chapters, took us right about a year. So who knows where the Lord leads us on this. I just try to preach and teach what he puts in my heart. I'm doing a series with the students on Philippians and all this stuff is on the website, by the way, and on our app. And uh, Philippians chapter one has kept me there for about four weeks. So I'll always give you the notes. We'll always come prepared, ready to go through these different passages. But if the Lord puts on the brakes somewhere, we're going to stop. Is that okay? So this is what I would encourage you as we go through a series is read the scriptures on your own. So now you know what your church is studying. We're studying the book of Revelation. So I would say read it on your own. The audio Bible is always very helpful. A book like Revelation, 22 chapters, you could listen to within a half hour depending on what speed you're at. The author of the book of Revelation is John the Apostle, brother of James. So James and John were brothers, disciples of Jesus. It's written around 90 A.D. after the destruction of the temple that happened in 70 A.D. That's going to be important to how we understand certain events. I will be talking about differing views as I share our view here in the church, but the most important thing that we need to know at the beginning is that we adopt the position that the book is written after the destruction of the temple because the two main differences are going to come from where that, uh, the perspective of this book is. There are a group of Christians that believe all of this was written to describe the time of the destruction of the temple and that Nero was the Antichrist and that all of this symbology was for that time. And then the millennial reign is what we are in now, reigning as Christians, conquering the world through the gospel, and then Jesus will come back. So for them, only a few chapters of the book of Revelation are yet to be fulfilled. They just believe the Armageddon is going to come, and then we go into it. That's it. Other uh, into the not the millennial reign, but the new heavens and new earth. Now, everybody else on opposite of that side believes that there's going to be some type of a tribulation, that there's going to be some kind of an antichrist, that there's just going to be these kinds of things happening. Now, within that, that, that side, there are people who believe the rapture is going to happen before the tribulation, 
There are some who believe it's going to happen in the middle of the tribulation. There are others who think it's going to happen towards the end of the tribulation before the wrath. It's called the pre-wrath view. And then that's, that's the third one. And then the fourth view, post-tribulation, are believing that God is going to come at the last minute, swoop us up, judge the, you know, eviscerate the world, and then come down. So there are literally four different positions on the people who believe that this is from the future perspective. So the other perspective, it's called a preterist perspective, and that is the perspective that it's already been fulfilled except the few last chapters. We are futurists, not preterists, and as futurists, we fall under pre-tribulation rapture. So like the Tim LaHaye books, Left Behind, those kinds of views that are popular among the Assemblies of God, the Baptist, Moody Church, uh, John MacArthur, a lot of popular Bible teachers. The occasion, though, a lot of times gets lost in this book, is that it was written to seven churches in the provenance of Asia. Oftentimes we think of this as being so far in the distance that it didn't have a practical guide for the people. And it really did. You as a Christian at this time receiving the letter around 90 AD in one of these seven churches, primarily started by the Apostle Paul, we're supposed to get instruction from this. And the reason why that's important is because now when we look back on it, we don't want to divorce what's being told to the churches throughout this uh, season or throughout this end times that's coming upon us because God's mind is always on the church, and he's giving us all that we need to know. And we'll talk about this as well further as we get into the book, but sometimes people like to look at the seven churches either as, uh, well, we all know they're legitimate, so that would just be the first understanding is this, they're all legitimate churches at that time. Now, looking towards the future, there's two views that people have. Uh, the first view is, is that each one of these churches represent a church age. There was the church age of Ephesus. There was the church age of uh, Pergam, etc. And then now we are in the church age of Laodicea. Then the other perspective is, is that the church, the great church of Jesus Christ, always has representations of these seven churches, seven kinds of churches throughout its history. I, I come from the persuasion where it's seven churches throughout history. The reason being, what may be Laodicea here may not be Laodicea there. So we may be like, man, we're in the Laodicean church age, which is the last one that's getting rebuked. Jesus said, I'm about ready to spit you out in my mouth. All of this stuff's going on. And so we may go, man, we're in the Laodicean church age age, but the situation with that is, is China and the church that is there in a Laodicean church, they seem to be going pretty hard for Jesus, man. They seem to be going after it, you know. So I, I think for a for way I look at it, and, and, and by the way, let me just put this back here. We can have you fellowship with us if you're a futurist, if you're a preterist, if you're a post, a mid, a pre-wrath, you know, a tribulation, whether or not you see these as ages or you see them as uh, categories of churches. All of this is what we would call open-handed issues to the gospel and the doctrines of the Bible being close-handed issues, things that we want to hold as def definitional. Amen? Okay, so just take a lot of this as your time to personally study, to look at different things. But the main point that we need to know here is that it's written to churches. Somebody say, I'm in a church. It's written to me. Amen. So we need to find ourselves there. So whether or not you believe you're in a church age, like a Laodicean age, it's written to you in that way. Or if you believe that each of these churches can represent a kind of church, you need to find out what kind of church you're in and learn the lessons from what God is doing through that church. Uh, the major themes is that Jesus is going to come back to judge both his church and the world that both the world and the church are going to be judged, but the world is going to be judged for damnation, eternal hellfire with the devil 
and his angels. But uh, the church's judgment is for reward, is for reckoning, is to be set up as kingdom rulers and to give, be given rank in the kingdom of God. So our judgment, is, it is truly called a judgment. It is called a judgment. The Bema seat, Paul talks about in Corinthians, Bema meaning judgment. The Christian judgment seat is a true judgment, but it is not a judgment unto condemnation, but for accommodation. You know, I judge you as a colonel in my kingdom now because of what good things you have done in my name by my grace. I judge you as a janitor in the kingdom because of the things you were lazy about. And nothing wrong with good janitors because I know they work hard, but there's going to be a way we recognize rank. Can everybody say amen to that? Amen. Jesus told that in his parables. So what we're supposed to get from this book is Jesus coming back. He's going to judge his church in the world. Satan and his kingdom will be destroyed, and God will establish his kingdom on earth in two phases. So that's why we do believe there's two phases. The preterist sees the phase of the millennial kingdom like spiritual. That's just a spiritual ruling and reigning with Christ, like how we're seated in Christ now in Ephesians, where we're now spiritually doing that. But like us, futurists, we believe it's literal. We believe there's going to be literal kings and kingdoms and areas where we have territories over, and we'll be ruling and reigning with Christ for that time. And then the second phase is that when Jesus now is going to destroy the heavens and the earth, that which he created at the beginning, which has been tainted with sin, and even though he overcame sin and showed his kingdom on the earth through that, he is now going to start over again. And some things that you'll notice from Genesis chapter 1, first chapter of the Bible, to Revelation chapter 2, the last chapter of the Bible, is there are some differences between the new heavens and new earth from the old heavens and old earth. One of the first things you'll notice in the new heavens and new earth is there's no more a sun and there's no more night. In the Garden of Eden, there was a sun and there was cycles of day and night. Also now in the new kingdom, there'll be no more giving of birth. We will now be spirit creatures like angels and there'll no more be procreation. Everybody go, oh. Yeah, there'll be no more procreation. Procreation was important to the first phase. Now, here's a deep thought that a lot of times people ask me is if God created us with good intention in the garden, and it wasn't his intention for us to, to sin and get kicked out of the garden. Would he ever have made the garden like what the new heavens and earth is like? And I believe so. This is why I believe it. Because if his intention was only in the garden to keep us in the garden, then at the end of the book of Revelation, it should just go back exactly to the state of the garden. Cycles of, of, of morning and night, you know, an earthly sun, procreation, and so forth. If that was his end goal, then I think he would bring us back to that. And so as odd as it would seem, we would continually procreate. And then the Mormons would have something to say about that. And they'd be like, yay, we get to do this along with as, as well as the Muslims. By the way, if you want a way of tying these two cults together, Islam is a cult from the Arabic culture and Mormonism is a cult from the, the uh, Christian colonial culture. But both of them are a cult of Christianity that have so many things in common. Prophets go alone and get visions, write extra books. These extra books are crazy books compared to our books and tell a whole bunch of weird things. Their founders love to have sex with lots of women. They instituted polygamy. They fought wars to get their territory, all of these things. And then they promised their followers all of these kind of other things in heaven, which are not glorious in God, but very carnal and, 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 and uh, you know, pleasurable to the flesh. So anyways, when we, when we look at the end of the book of Revelation and the established 
establishment of the final kingdom of God. We're not procreating. There isn't a son. And those things now are how we're going to be. And so I think if you want to know my kind of take on this, which you don't know for sure, no one can, his original intention was for us to conquer the, the serpent, crush him there, in Jesus' name, because we could have done it. We could have done it, and this is not to blaspheme Christ in any way. I know Christ knew he was coming. That's why he's the, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. But we could have, because we were perfect, could have crushed him in the authority of God, and then from God's, um, uh, you know, from God's perspective, learned what that was about, and then with him, and I know this may sound a little sci-fi, with him created the new heavens and the earth after we had populated the earth with beautiful spirit babies and children. <laughs> Well, that's what I think God was going to do because, like I said, in the book of Revelation, it ends with us no longer having children and there's no longer a son. So I just think we were supposed to crush a, a serpent, go on procreating, live on the perfect earth. Maybe it would have been for a thousand years, a million years, who knows? And then God would have said, great, I have enough of you. You've procreated enough. You've had enough fun doing that. Now let's, let's create the new heavens and earth. Let's go and do this, 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 and that. Not that we are creators with God, but that we would be with him like how the angels were and maybe do some decorating with them, who knows, because we were created higher than the angels. The angels didn't have any say in anything, but it seems like we get to have a say as a child with the Father, that we have an intimate, more relationship with the Father. If we wouldn't have been able to say anything about the decorations of the new heavens and earth, it doesn't matter. He just would have put us there, and we would have kept doing our thing. And then from that point on, what do we do? Have no idea. The universe is quite big. What does it look like when he recreates it and it's perfect? Will we be doing intergalactic travel? Will we have little things that we can create but that are not humans, you know? Because I don't think there are going to be any more free will creatures, but maybe we can create little Navoos. Like, <laughs> this works, it gets, it's weird. But, but they, I don't think they'll be able to have free will or have feelings in that way. <laughs> We're about 20 minutes into the book of Revelation and pastor has turned weird. Pastor has certainly turned weird already. These are the things that we are concerned about, Pastor, when we bring visitors to the church, that they just think that we're far out. I don't know. I just don't see a problem with us making things and interacting with things like pets. That's, I don't know. I just don't have a problem with that. I don't, see, I don't think it will be illogical, but within the realm of logic, we will be able to do these things. And once again, if you don't go that far into us having God's creative power and ability in this limited sense that he gives us, like a virtual reality, like we're able in this world to create certain things with him and, and, and go places. If you don't see it that way, well, then just stop where the period stops and just leave it at that. And the Bible says, you know, we should be silent where it's silent, you know. So we can only speculate, and the speculation can get us in trouble, get me as, as being accused of as a cult leader making new age things up. Because now, this is what's so serious right here. Then you hear about now these prophets who say, now I'm talking to those creatures, or I'm making those creatures now, or God told me I'm going to do this. So we'll just stop where the period stops. Amen? Okay, so that's what I believe the major theme is. Let's go look down here. A timeline, this is something that God had me do when I did an end time series a while back. This is just something for you to look at as we go through the book and through our perspective of what it looks like. So I believe that we're after the establishment of Jerusalem and Israel, and we're here right now waiting for the rapture. The things that are happening is what we call the signs of the end times. And then the last sign, I believe, is the gospel being preached all over the world. And as we are taken up, which we'll go to in more depth as we go through the book of Revelation, 
The Antichrist appears, makes a peace treaty with the land of Israel, allows them to build a temple. Everything looks like it's going great with this one world government. But then he breaks his treaty with Israel. He then forces a mark upon everybody to be in his kingdom and worship him as God. The 12 tribes of Israel are called out by number 144,000. It's not what Jehovah Witnesses say. These are actually evangelists of the 12 tribes of Israel. Because remember, he starts with Israel, he ends with Israel. And as they go out, they're the ones getting persecuted primarily because most of the world at this time is under the control of the devil. God starts pulling, out the bull, uh, starts pulling out the bulls of wrath and so forth. Then Jesus comes, battle of Armageddon. We're with him on the white horse. We rule and reign with him from the 144,000, that smaller number of people who were saved during this time for a thousand years because during this time, the, the people are allowed to live through the kingdom with us. So these will be the people we will be ruling over. Some people think all of them get destroyed there, and then we rule over the 144,000 that didn't die and their children. But the Bible talks about a rebellion that happens at the end, and that would be really hard unless there was a larger population. I don't think the children would be that, be that much, but maybe, maybe it could be either way. But the bottom line is the devil is bound during this time. He's released. A little bit of a rebellion happens. Then he's forever thrown into the lake of fire at the great white throne judgment with all of his followers. So hell is emptied into the lake of fire, and then God creates the new heavens and the earth. Any questions? No, I'm kidding. We'll be here for a long time. That's just the, the general overview. Now, if we're looking at the preterist, the one who feels it was mostly all done, they think it was all done here, and now the only thing we're waiting for is just Jesus to come back and new heavens and earth. They don't really consider any of this important anymore. They don't think the nation of Israel represents Israel. Those are just you know Jewish people by descent doing things. They don't think these signs of the time have anything to do with that. They think those had to do with what was going on. They don't think there's, uh, during this time, they don't think there's another Antichrist, Nero was the Antichrist. There's not another temple. It was this temple that was defiled when Nero sacrificed a, a pig in there. So they see it all as one fulfillment, where we see this as a partial fulfillment, speaking about what was going to happen at the end of the age. Okay? Amen. And let's go on down to, just to show you a map, because i got to be cool and show you a map. Here are the seven churches. This is where they're located at. As you can see, a lot of these names are familiar, and some of them are not, but they're close to those names. And so what we uh, understand from this is these are primarily uh, Paul's churches and John's churches who were working in this area. And we know for sure Ephesus and Laodicea uh, were at least Paul's churches, and then some of these others we're not quite sure. But Patmos is important because we're going to learn that's where John is at. He is exiled on that island as the Fox's, Books of Fox's Book of Martyr teaches us that John was a gospel preacher. He gets arrested. They try to kill him by boiling him alive. He escapes. Then he gets recaptured, and they say, listen, we're just going to banish you to this island. And there he gets banished and dies a death of natural death. He's the longest living disciple. He was also the, uh, the, the youngest disciple. And so he's writing from there, and he gives it to his people to send off to there. And then eventually he dies. And so that's... Uh, uh, where the place of the book of Revelation has happened. Are you guys ready? Amen. Amen. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Somebody say the testimony of Jesus Christ. 
That is today's message. We are testifying about Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Okay, so notice that in the, let's, let's stay there, good brother. Thank you, please, and thank you. What we notice right here is that the book is meant to be read out loud. Not only is this book but to be read out loud, but all of the scriptures are to be read out loud. But I love that out of all the books that God wanted to put in inspired scripture, the, the affirmation to read it out loud is actually the book that we're the most nervous to read out loud. Like you don't hear uh, Paul saying to Timothy, read this out loud. It's assumed that he is. It's assumed that they're going to read it out loud, that they're going to read it and, and teach it to others. But I love it here that we are encouraged to read this out loud. And, and I know even just from that little prelude that I had there, sometimes we as Christians, we get a little embarrassed by our beliefs because sometimes we think like we live in a rational world. We live in a world that lives based on empirical, empiricism, evidentialism, only what you can empirically test and, and see, touch, smell, and hear, and all of that. And so here we are, the crazy, nutty Christians talking about these things. Now, what I want you to understand is that when we read this book, it isn't really that crazy and nutty. It's really not that far out. It is a world that we live in, but it's now been uncovered to a spiritual realm that's been coinciding with us this whole time. And how do we know that this world has, uh, this spiritual world has been coinciding with us even before we get into all the things that it, what it looks like when the lights are turned on and the veil is, is lifted and allows them to interact with us? How do we know that now we're living in this world? Well, when we think about all the evil that's happening in this world, all the atrocities that have happened have a root in the demonic world. Murdering children? Over 50 million children have been murdered in babies' wombs? Where do you think that idea comes from? That comes from another realm as an idea to destroy us as humans. It doesn't even make sense. I mean, have you ever even seen this in the animal kingdom where they claw even at the wombs of the mothers in their own tribe or, you know, their own uh, pride as animals? I mean, they may be gross and eat their young if they don't live, but we are to the point where we eat the young that can live, in other words. We kill that which is healthy to propagating our own species. This has to come through the mind of the demonic. Also, you see animals, they can be sexually perverse, but you don't see animals in the sense of their perversion, you know, living like that's the way they're going to be. They understand that in that, they may have some pleasure, but they have to procreate to have babies. We live in a culture that literally wants to deny the actual sexual science of procreation. This is another demonic lie and uh, oppression to us that we think we can change our genders, these thoughts, these ideas are coming to us. They are coming to us from the outside in. They are not even natural to the natural world. Some behaviors may be tr true, but remember, the way we're living in these things is not just to say that they are on the outside. We're wanting to bring them in on the inside and embrace them and lift them up. Also, 
Most people are not atheists. Most people are believers in God in the spiritual realm, and they talk about dreams or visions that they see, encounters with spirits that they have, things that they know are around them in this realm. And so how could this many people all across the globe for this long be having wrong experiences? We have science, and we've had science since the Christians developed science, praise God. Why haven't we just simply gotten rid of all of these myths? I mean, we know there's a lot of myths out there, but the atheists keep saying, well, just get rid of one more myth, get rid of one more myth. And yet, atheists continually come to Christ as they understand that something cannot come from nothing, that science does not prove nothing producing something. And so we have to come back to a God idea. And then the same thing is with morals and spiritual well-being that we know even now in brain science, Dr. Amen, who has done over 100,000 scat scans of the brain, you can search with him, he's done a TED Talk as well, that he now knows that the brain can change from the inside out that the power of the mind over the physical brain has an actual physical effect. When they first got into scientism and things like that, they thought that we were all just chemicals in motion, molecules that move, moist robots, and that all they had to do to fix us internally was to fix the organs and to pump more chemicals or things into those organs. But then they began to realize, yes, we may be able to see changes in the brain affect changes of personality and things like that, but there's something stronger than just those changes that are going on affecting personality. There's actually a personality within the brain or the soul that can affect the hardwire of the brain itself. And so we have to take a step back and go, has the spiritual world really been that hidden all along? I don't think so. I just think that the spiritual world is going to get more revealed. It's going to come to be more clear. And what do I think the new age? What do I think the fascination with superheroes? What do I think AI and reality, uh, excuse me, um, uh, these video games that are, uh, what do you call these video games where you create worlds? What are this called? Virtual reality. Thank you. And what you called was an open world. I appreciate that too. I think what all of those things have in common is to try us to, be de uh, to, to deceive us, to when those things come, oh, and the, and the factuation with aliens, to deceive us so that when those things come, when these spirits come, we will actually not be as a society even against it. Because we will think to ourselves, these are aliens. These are supernatural powers of the universe, energy flowing through us as the Antichrist and the false prophet do signs and wonders on the earth. Because if you read our stories in the time of Moses and all of that, when Moses threw down his, uh, his, his staff and it turned into a serpent, the Egyptians didn't jump back and go, we ain't never seen this before. No, they threw down theirs and said, we, we know what you're doing. We got some of that too. But then what happened with our snake? It ate their snake. Amen. Praise God. So I'm telling you, I think it's going to be a revitalization of the past because not only like what I was saying morally, they killed babies then, they're killing babies now again. They lived perverse lives back then, now they're living perverse lives now, right? They hated the Christian God then, now they're going to hate the Christian God there. But guess what? What, what they looked back then as just straight up magic or supernatural power, I believe is going to be tied into the technology. That's, that's going to be our deception. So I think the mark of the beast may have something to do with, in, with incorporating, uh, you know, technology into brains, into different parts of our body, and to incorporating this kind of evolutionary thought that we're becoming like God. We're beating death. We're beating diseases and these things. And so we should read this out loud. 
Because when it was read out loud originally, they understood it had a point and a purpose. There are some Christians today that can even walk through this and think that they can point out everything, that it was that clear even back then. I think there are seeds of it, but I think there are things that they cannot do like how we can. But listen, we've been reading it for a while, and they've already thought we're crazy, but we are now more closer to this than ever before. For example, what, what do I always like to give as an example of the book of Revelation? In the book of Revelation, towards the end, there are two witnesses that come down, and they start preaching during the chaos that's ensuing after the rapture. Well, they preach, and they stop the rain, and they control the weather, and God's doing all these supernatural things through them. And once again, the people aren't just repenting because they've been conditioned to think, well, maybe that's just a Thor. Maybe that's just a Loki. Maybe that's just part of the virtual reality like this person's doing. And maybe we all are just in the matrix, and they're a little bit more advanced. So they aren't even convinced by that. Let's just get that right in our story. In our story, miracles don't really convince a lot of people. Even with the prophets of Baal, it just showed that God was on Elijah's side. But then those people had to be put to death. Because it wasn't like it brought about repentance to them. Uh, King Ahab and Jezebel kept being wicked even after that. Judas walked with the Lord and was a backslider. I mean, come on, I can be here all day. Saul prophesied with people, but when God left him, he didn't run back to God. He ran to a witch. So just seeing signs and wonders by itself doesn't do it. They crucified Jesus even though he raised John from the dead, or rather Lazarus from the dead, and they tried to kill Lazarus again. That's how mad they were. So going back to this, these two witnesses preach, they do signs and wonders, then what happens? They get killed. And now what does the Bible say? All the peoples of the earth see their bodies laying in the streets, and they begin to celebrate sending gifts one to another. Now how in the world could that have happened for the last, say, 1,800 years or 1,950 years? It couldn't have, but we read it out loud and we weren't ashamed of it. Imagine being a Christian in the 1,400s, and you are saying that there is going to be an event where two people die in one place of the planet and everybody else in the planet will see it with their own eyes. See what happened when, te when television and satellite came out? That right there brought us closer to it. So why would we be ashamed of it now? The same thing with the mark. You can neither buy or sell. And so even back then when I talked about these Christians trying to take it as, well, it all happened back then. They had to take it figuratively, and it made sense to them to take it figuratively because how could you ever get to a point in a culture where you could literally forbid or grant people the privilege to buy or sell by having a simple tattoo or a mark? That was all they could give you at that time, a tattoo. How many know now they could do it? And not only that, but they could starve you out because they could push you out of the known world or the civilized world, and they would put drones everywhere, and you wouldn't be able to come back in. They could Mad Max this thing if they wanted to, and now we're closer to that than we've ever been before. Now, sometimes people go into the book of Revelation, and they try to find helicopters with missiles when they see the, the, the grasshoppers coming out, the locusts stinging people. We'll get into that. Some people see nuclear warfare in Zechariah where the Bible says that their body disintegrates before their sword hits the ground. And so there are a lot of things that are interesting there, and I'll give you those things as we go along. But some of these clearer things just in the book of Revelation, we are left with an a, a understanding that this world that we're going to be in during this time is going to be a supernatural world, and it's going to be full of deception, and we as Christians have got to be ready for it. But look at verse 1, the revelation from Jesus to his servants that's going to take place, and what is it revealing? It's revealing Jesus. It's revealing the word of God and the testimony. So the number one thing we're supposed to get, the testimony of Jesus Christ, the number one thing that we're supposed to get out of Revelation is that it's revealing Jesus. 
revealing, apocalypto. What is it revealing? That's the word apocalypse, you know, revealing there in Latin and Greek as well. What does that mean? It means you're seeing something now. You're seeing something clearly. Is the thing you're supposed to be seeing clearly now, is the spiritual world? No, but that's going to happen. Is the thing that you're supposed to be seeing clearly, is the persecution that's going to happen on the earth? No, but you will see that. The thing that you're supposed to walk away from, from verse 1 all the way to the end of chapter 22 of Revelation, is you are supposed to walk away going, I now see Jesus clearer. I see Jesus in a way I did not see him before. And we are supposed to see that these things are near. Now, sometimes things in the Bible don't seem so near. Like, remember when Isaiah, when he was prophesying to a king, he said, ask for a sign, and I'll give you a sign. And he said, the virgin shall be with the child. That didn't happen for hundreds of years later. But the Bible says in Psalm 90, verse 4, that a thousand years is like a day to the Lord, and a day is like a thousand years. So according to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in heaven, it's only been two days since he was down here doing his work. Amen. It's just been a weekend. That's it. He's about ready to come back to work here on Monday and make it happen, Captain. But he's telling us to be patient because he's coming, and we need to keep reading this prophecy out loud and prepare people for what will come upon this earth. Now, another thing that I want to do and teach you how to do as you read your scriptures is always see the nature of God as you read. Oftentimes, cults will go to books of scriptures, and they'll try to confuse you about the nature of God by not understanding terms that are being applied. They'll say, like in Paul's letters, Jesus is called God the Father. Uh, excuse me, uh, the Father's called God the Father, but Jesus is called Lord Jesus. So they'll say, here, look at this. Jesus is God, uh, excuse me, the Father is God, and Jesus is a Lord, like a master, a landlord. And they'll point that out to you. Here in just a few moments, they're going to say to you, see, look, this is God, the Word of God, about Jesus. Jesus is going to have a God. See, and even above here it says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave. And so they'll say, Jesus is not God. And then they'll say, just in a few verses, that it says Jesus has a God. How can a God have a God? And they'll try to confuse you. Some of the things I want you to begin to realize is that the Bible is never contradicting itself. It's teaching you the different persons of the Trinity. And remember, the word Lord is a term of divine uh, understanding as well. All throughout the Bible, hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one. That's the Shema, uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4. The Lord in uh, Genesis 18 appeared to Abram, Yahweh, and that's the Hebrew word Yahweh or Jehovah. And a lot of times you'll meet Jehovah Witnesses, and they'll try to say, well, Jesus is not Jehovah, but he's called Jehovah throughout the whole scriptures. And as a matter of fact, in Romans and in Philippians, when we bow in before him and confess Jesus as Lord, we're not confessing him as landlord, we're confessing him as Jehovah Lord, Jehovah our God. And you can see that from the, the, the scriptures that they are referencing in the places where knees are bowing and mouths are confessing. And so at day one, or at moment one here, uh, turn with me to Psalm 104.4, and please do that in a different tab so you don't lose the Septuagint. Look at Psalm 104.4. Who do angels belong to? Who do angels belong to? Nobody wants to answer the question. <laughs> Just answer it out loud. You don't have to raise your hand. So they belong to God. Look at what it says in Psalm uh, 104, verse 4. He, talking about God, makes winds his messengers, flames of fires his servants. And messenger and angel, as you're going to learn, are the same word uh, in the Hebrew or Greek, just translated different, differently. When we look in the scriptures, the angel of the Lord 
consistently is Jesus in a pre-carnate form. He is the messenger coming from heaven. But that does not mean he is an angelic being how you think of when you think of wings. Number one, angels do not have wings in any category, whether they're divine or simply coming from heaven. Seraphim and cherubim have wings. When angels appear, like they do with when Michael appears, the two angels with, um, with Jesus coming on the plains of Mamre in Genesis 18, they always appear with us, uh, like us. They look just like us. When they went down to visit Lot, it's not like they said, you know, let me fold in my wings and walk in here now. No, they don't come with wings. Angels come like us. So when the Bible says Jesus is the angel or the messenger of the Lord, that does not mean he is a created being like Michael and so forth. He is a messenger like Michael, but he has a unique place. And we'll be talking about that later. But now go back to the notes. The Bible says that ownership of angels belongs to God in the book of Psalms. Notice what it says here and start to clue in with me because you will need to learn to clue into these hints of Jesus' divinity right at the beginning. It says here, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. Do you notice here that the angel is attributed to Jesus? That it's Jesus' angel that is coming on down. And you're going to notice that Jesus and God throughout this letter, who we're going to refer to as God the Father, are both going to say it's their angel. And so when they share the ownership of something that only God can share, we now know it's Father and Son. Now, let's keep going to the next verses here. Verse 4. John says, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace, the standard Christian greeting, to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now, let's stop right here. Who are the three persons that we just see? We see the Father, we see the Son, and we see the Holy Spirit. Now, where some people get confused is it says seven spirits. And there was actually a time Benny Hinn taught that the Holy Spirit was seven spirits. But we're going to explain why there are seven spirits being referred to as our one Holy Spirit. Go to Isaiah chapter 11, 2 through 3. In the Old Testament, there is the Septuagint version and there is the Hebrew version. Go all the way here, my brother, to the right and click on that one. Thank you. When we look at the scriptures you will see that there are six of the manifestations of the Spirit of the Lord mentioned in our Hebrew version, which is most of what your Old Testament is uh, uh, translated from. But the New Testament Christians did not go directly to the Hebrew. They went to the Greek, which came hundreds of years before their time, but thousands of years after the Hebrew time, because they lived in a Greek culture, and they translated into Greek, and they separated the words a bit differently. And so I believe this helps us understand the Hebrew, and you can see it here in the Septuagint. It says, and God's spirit will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom, intelligence, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge, and piety, piety being separated from knowledge in the Septuagint, where you would not see that if you were only looking at the ones in your Bibles going back to the Hebrew version, and he will fill him with the spirit of the fear of God. There are the seven manifestations of the Spirit of God. Going back to the notes, we have to work the Bible to work the Bible. Amen? you got to understand how the Word of God is being used. Now, some people say, well, well, why would God allow that to happen to the Hebrew version? 
Our Hebrew version came much later than the Greek version. And even though in time it was made first, our, our preservation was of the Greek. And here's how we know that God prefers that version. In the New Testament, they quote from it than, than the, the Hebrew version. So we should be confident to trust the Greek version. And as well as even the Dead Sea Scrolls that came, the Dead Sea Scrolls actually confirm this version, and that's in Hebrew. So understand that there is a confirmation from Hebrew, but we have to see that the Greek version maintained it. Now from Jesus Christ, who we know. We know who that is. He's a faithful witness and the firstborn from among the dead. Now go to Colossians before we go to this passage in, in Acts. And here's another thing that is oftentimes abused by, by cults. Go to Colossians chapter 2 around verse 10 is that when people hear Jesus is the firstborn, they then tie that with he's the only begotten son. And now the image that they get in their mind is that Jesus was created. Jehovah Witnesses will say Jesus was the first creation of God, and that is why he's called the firstborn. Just pause there, please. That's why he's called the firstborn that he is the first created of God. They will then say he's the only begotten of God because God has never created anyone like Jesus. Do you understand what the cults will say? Many cults will say that to you. But what you have to understand is that they have confused these terms from the scriptures themselves. Now go ahead and scroll up there for me, please, brother, and I'll show you where the term comes from. I believe it's going to be either before or after that. Philippians chapter 2, somebody might want to find it for me. Oh, I'm saying Philippians, Colossians, sorry, I'm in the wrong book. General Electric Power Company, Colossians at the end there. General Electric Power, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, that's how I memorize it there. Okay, Philippians chapter 2, why can't, okay, here we go. Uh, chapter 1, verse 15, rather. Look at chapter 1, verse 15 of Colossians. Notice how this is said here. He is the image of the invisible God. That should stop it there, but watch how they'll twist it. The firstborn over all creation. So you see, he is the image of the invisible God. If you've seen the, uh, the son, you've seen the father, they'll give him credit like that. But he is firstborn. He is created. And that's how they'll take it. He's the first creation over all creation. But notice it doesn't say that. It just says he's the firstborn. They will read into that born meaning created. But it doesn't say he's the first created over all creation. It just says he is the firstborn over all creation. And notice how now it's going to clarify what it means by uh, what Paul means by firstborn. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Here's how it backfires against them, even if you don't understand everything I'm about ready to teach you about firstborn and only begotten. Just notice if you put in one category over here everything uncreated, who would be the only one in the uncreated category? God. And then on this side, you'd put everything created, correct? Where does Jesus fit under uncreated on the God side or on the created side? He goes on the uncreated side because by him all things were created. He didn't create himself. So then what they'll translate in their New World Translation, the Jehovah Witnesses will say, by him all other things were created. Liar, liar, pants on fire. That's why you needed a different Bible to help you out. And it's not in the Greek and it's not in the Septuagint. It ain't found nowhere except in a liar's mind. 
It's very clear. By him. And John says it too. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. They want to say was a God. No, was God like the Father. But then it goes on. He was with him in the beginning. And through him all things were made that have been made. Without him nothing has been made that has been made. It couldn't get more clear. And here with Paul it says by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and and invisible. So I say, can you find something that's not visible or invisible? Think about it. Can you think of anything that is not either visible or invisible? No. Can you think of anything else that would be either created in heaven or on earth? Is there any other places that we know of in the Bible? So where would Jesus be if he wasn't visible or invisible? Because they say he created all other things. And what would he be if he wasn't visible or invisible? If he wasn't in heaven, if he wasn't on earth, then where was he? If somehow he's the first creation and then everything else comes out and he creates everything that's visible, he creates everything that's invisible, where would he be? Y'all looking at me like you don't get it. Do you get it, sir? If he created everything visible, can he be visible? If he created everything invisible, can he be invisible? No, he can't. Okay. Get me a whiteboard or something. Okay, confusing you guys. <sighs> I gotta back up and get out some notes. Go to my go to the website. I'm gonna pull out some notes. I'm confusing you. Jesus is invisible, yes, but the Bible says he created everything that is that is invisible. If something other than God, remember we put God in the uncreated. I'm just gonna talk to you like you're my helper right now, okay? If we put God here on the uncreated category. He, we, know he's, we know he's invisible, but he's, he's uncreated. Okay, can you go to the website, please? Put it up there, please. I'll show you when I did these debates with these guys. And then you guys will be able to, I got some pretty little things up here that I can show you. So we know God is going to be invisible. We know that, right? But the Bible says that he fits in the category of uncreated, invisible things. Now put up in there, put up uh, Trinity. Put in the word Trinity, and I'll show you guys how to find this. You can hear me interacting with people who think they're smarter than me online, and I like to think that they don't get very far. Okay, now scroll down here. Go, uh, you know, go back up. You just pass it, my brother. You just pass the very first one right there. Uh, you know what? No, go down one. Go down. Yeah, pick this one right here, please. I believe, yeah, it was December 9th. I have the notes. Now scroll down. You should be able to see a nice pretty picture. Keep going. Let me help you out here. Help you out. Okay, let's go, my brother. Scroll, scroll, scroll like you mean it, my brother. This is all evidence for the Trinity. Come on, my brother, you got this. We working together, we working together. Hallelujah. Here it all is. This is what I'm trying to give you guys right now. Right down here, right down here, right there, right there. Okay. Now, right here. God exists before he creates the heaven and the earth, okay? How many believe God existed before he created the heavens and the earth? How many believe God existed before he created other invisible things and visible things? How many believe he still existed? Okay, so the question that I'm asking you is, if God used the sun to create everything visible or invisible, could Jesus exist as something other than is visible or invisible? He could not exist as something other than visible or invisible. He could not. I'm going I'm to go to a whiteboard if I have to now. When the Bible says Jesus created everything that is visible or invisible. So now watch this. 
You have only two categories now of every single thing that can possibly exist. Somebody who already gets it, pray. Pray right now, okay? You only now have two categories of things that can exist. So God creates Jesus. Okay, we believe Jesus is also invisible. He's going to be on the invisible side. Let's think about it like a Jehovah Witness. God creates Jesus, right? God creates Jesus, and now Jesus is invisible, okay? But according to them, Jesus creates everything else. But that's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says that Jesus created everything that's invisible and everything that is visible, so if Jesus is the creator of things, visible and invisible, how can he exist before the creation of everything visible and everything invisible? Does everybody get it? This is not my logic. This is logic, and it's Paul's, and it's the Bible. Go back to the, the, the Scripture so you can see it. Go back to the Scriptures. Because now notice, that's not the only thing he says. He says, Jesus created everything in heaven and on earth. So remember, according to them, according to them, Jesus is created first before heaven is created and before earth is created. Can Jesus exist in a place other than heaven and earth? No, so where does he exist? He can't exist. Do you understand Paul's logic? He is qualifying what he means by all things so that Oompa Loompas will not come around and try to change your mind. You're literally supposed to say it makes no sense for you to put in here he created all other things. It makes zero sense because even if you don't understand how I'm about ready to teach you about firstborn, you're supposed to understand that if Jesus created everything, he has to be, going back to the notes, please, uh, that, that drawing I had, Jesus has to be in the category of God because God is not a created visible or invisible thing. God is not a thing that dwells either in heaven or in earth. God by himself was all that existed. Not heaven, not earth, no created thing. Jesus has to be there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's what you're supposed to get out of that. Now scroll on down because i got another little helpful chart here for you, okay? One more chart that's going to have it all make sense. Keep going. Get us free. Okay, let's go to the, uh, I have to go now to another one. Look up for the other Trinitarian one that I have. That's on that, go, scroll all the way up and hit the BHI link. And it's going to be, um, it's going to be the one that comes, let me, I'll just help you find it. It's not going to be part two. Click on that. You guys got time for us to, to click around here and find it? You guys have anywhere to go? Okay, let me help you find it right here. Keep going. Go on and go down. Okay, it's going to be, go up one more. Go up one more, please. This one right here. It is that one. Yeah, I, I must have passed it, but go ahead. Click on that. Come back. Where did that one go? There we go. Okay, go on down. Let's go on down. I'll get you all the way down here. Okay, we're going to go all the way down. Go down. Keep going. Keep going. No, no, we missed it. Go back. There's. I have this other chart. Where's this other chart? Go. go. Oh, there it is. There it is. There it is. Okay. How many like charts? Does the charts help everybody? Uncreated creator. Everything created. Through him, the word, all things were made. Without him, talking about Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. Do you get that? So for Jesus to have created all things, he cannot be a thing. 
For Jesus had to make everything invisible and invisible. He can't be a made visible or invisible thing. For him to have made the heavens and the earth, he could not have been made first. There would have been nothing for him to dwell in. The next thing, as we were just reading, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him... All things were made, all of those things. Now let's keep going. And through him and for him, he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. How many things? All things. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the what? The dead. What is he the firstborn from? The dead. So that everything, in everything he might have the supremacy, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Now go back to the notes of the sermon of Revelation. When it says that he is the firstborn, he is the firstborn from the dead. When it says he's the only begotten, he's the only begotten from the dead. Let me show that with you. Go to Acts chapter 13, verse 32. When Jesus comes to the earth, we know he's the son of God. But what does it mean he's the only son? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, monogenous, only begotten. What does this mean? At the baptism, he goes, this is my only son. He says it multiple times. What does the father mean that he is the only begotten? This is my son. It means that he is going to be the first raised from the dead to have the new humanity. When does Jesus, according to the apostles, become the son, the only begotten? When does the father say to him, today you are my son? Today I have begotten you. When does the father say that in relation to the son? Not at his birth. Listen, can you ask him to keep it down a little bit back there? Thank you. When does he tell them that this is what happens? God has fulfilled this. These are the preachers, the apostles. God has fulfilled this for us. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he did what? He raised up who? Jesus. What did the father do? He raised up. Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son today. Today I have begotten you. And he raised him from what? The dead, no more to return to corruption. So go back to the notes of Revelation, please. What are we supposed to understand? Jesus, from all eternity, was equal with the Father, was always God like the Father. No distinction in nature. But when Jesus came in the flesh, he is now going to be known to us as the only begotten Son of God. He is going to be known to us as the firstborn of God. But does that mean he's God's first creation? Does that mean that? No. What it means is he is the first human to be raised from the dead. He is now the one that has the resurrection life. He's always had his divinity. Jesus had his divinity in the Old Testament. He had his divinity upon the earth. He has his divinity now. What title is he getting now that he had not had while in his divine form with the Father? Firstborn. Firstborn. He had to enter into earth to do that, be, be crucified and buried, to have firstborn be given to him, only begotten. How do we know this is what it means? Because that's why it continues on, that now he's the ruler and so forth. 
What does Daniel talk about in Daniel chapter 7? That the Son of Man comes to the Father. This is the ascension. When we see him leave in Acts, where does he go after that? The book of Daniel takes it from what we lose in the book of Acts. We don't see anything else after he disappears in the book of Acts. But Daniel prophesied what the heavenly perspective is. He's ascending to heaven, his Father, and now he's giving rule over all the nations. Okay? Now, this is where people try to get slick and they go, well... If he was always God, why does he need to be given rulership? Didn't he already have rulership? If he was God, why does he need to appear before the Father to be coronated as a king? Remember, he did not do this on his behalf. He was already a king with the Father. He was already the creator with the Father. That's what Colossians is teaching us. That's what John is teaching us, that he already had preeminence with the Father, equal with the Father. But who lost their kingship? Who lost their role? Humans did. So when Jesus is being exalted, when Jesus is being given the name above every name, he already had a name above every name, Yahweh. But why is he now being given, why is Jesus being made a name above every name? Because Jesus is the God-man in the line of David, becoming the ruler of the people of David in the new kingdom because we messed it up. That's why it says, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood. That's why he's the firstborn of the dead. That's why we say his name and not the Father's name to be saved. Because Jesus is the preeminent one in the God nature of who we look to for our redemption. Even though each one had a part in it, we understand that Jesus is the central figure. And he's giving the glory back to the Father, but he's the figure that we are to look at. And what does he make us? What does Jesus make us to be a what? Come on, highlight it for them. They're getting tired. I got to let them go. The second service is going to be more, more excited than them. I got to switch you up. I got to upgrade. No, I'm half kidding. I'm half kidding. Right here. He has made them to be a what? A kingdom and priest. Why did he have the right to make us kingdom and priests? Because he redeemed us for God his Father. And he's doing that to God be the glory. God gets the glory out of Jesus saving us. Go to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to end here today. Now I'm going to wonder if I can, you know, keep up with this. Because what if second service gets it? Am I going to hold them back? I can. I got to keep going. So now I got to remember, where did I leave off with first service, folks? Where did I leave off with second? I'm at verse four, I'm at verse four with first service. Get to verse 20 today with second service. No, I'm kidding. But how many learned something, though? Did the invisible thing make sense after a while? You didn't, okay, you didn't think I was tricking you, right? Okay, amen. I love you. And I'm humble. I'm, trust me, I had to learn this just like you. And sometimes, like last week, it was on me, wasn't it? Forgetting people's names. That was on me last week. Okay. So now, now look at Philippians 2. Summarize it in closing. Vinny, would you come, please? Let this mind be in you. Verse 4. Do not look at each other's interests, but to the interests of others. Now look at how Paul describes what Jesus did. Jesus Christ, who being in the very form of God, did not consider equality a robbery. Excuse me. We're in a different translation. That's why. Go to the NIV, please. You just got to scroll all the way to the left. Go back this way. Yep. Thank you. Philippians chapter 2, starting verse 4. Thank you, Jesus. Talking about Jesus, we'll go to verse 6. Who being in very nature, who? God. So notice how Paul tells the story of redemption. He's going to summarize literally what I've just been talking about this whole time. Notice how Paul summarizes it. Jesus being in very nature God. So right off the bat there, are we to question Jesus' nature being equal to God? 
No, that's, that's, that's supposed to be off the table. But what we do need to understand is how God came in the flesh. How the Son did this. Why did the Son do this? We're not supposed to question His nature. We're supposed to know He's very nature God. But He did not consider equality with God something to be used to His own advantage. So He didn't come down as God in the, in the sense of trying to control us through His God ways, blinding us and doing that. He didn't use the nature of God to His advantage. But rather he made himself nothing by taking the nature of a what? Of a servant being made in what? Human likeness. That's why we believe in the two natures now. He's in nature of God at the beginning of the, that passage. We go a few verses down. Now he's in the, the nature of what? A human. He's the God-man. Not 50-50. 100% God, 100% man. When he became a man, he never stopped being God. Okay? And being found in appearance as a man, what does he do? He humbles himself to become obedient to death so he can die on the cross. Therefore, God, his Father, exalted him to the highest place. Well, verse 6 says he was already at the highest place. He's equal to God, right? Isn't God at the highest place? He's the creator of all things. He sustains all things. But why is this significant? Because Jesus Christ, the God-man, the god Come on, say it with that God. Man, yes, is exalted to the highest place. And now he is given, he, the God, man, is given a name above every name. That at the name of what? Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. See how Paul uses that exhaustive language again? And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is what? Is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now go to this I up here where it says every knee shall bow or L. Could you click on this right here? It's going to give you Isaiah. Click on Isaiah 45, 23. How do we know that that Lord is representative of Yahweh, not just like a landlord? Isaiah, he says, by myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that cannot be revoked. Before me every knee will bow. Before me every tongue will swear. They will say of me in the Lord, in Yahweh alone, our deliverance and strength. So when we are bowing before Jesus, we're not considering him a secondary creature or a Lord that's just somebody that got power from a king. Jesus is himself like his Father, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the book of Revelation is teaching us that he is alive and well. He has been the firstborn resurrected. He is seated next to his Father. And he's wanting John to report back to us that he's coming back to get us, that everything is working out a according to the plan, that we shouldn't be discouraged, that he's going to use it for our good, that his coming is near, and that he's going to set up his kingdom. And this time he's not as a baby, it's as a king. And then we're not just going to be the lambs, we are going to be the kings and the priests and the prophets, rulers in the kingdom of God. Somebody say, come now, Lord Jesus. Amen. Would you stand up and give it up for Jesus today? Hallelujah. Jesus Christ, the firstborn from among the dead, whose, sin, whose blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins. Hallelujah. Just go back to that revelation passage, please, brother. Thank you for helping me out today. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? Come on, we're going to worship him in closing for who he is. The Bible says he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Washed by, we are washed by his blood. We give glory to God the Father through him. A few moments. 
Right now, if you've been washing his blood, would you thank him right now? Thank you, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. I thank you that I'm washed in your blood. If you're here today and you have not been born again washing the blood of Jesus, ask him to forgive you. Ask him to change you. If you want to be born like him from the dead with a resurrected body, like what we'll celebrate in Easter time, just ask him to save you. Say, Jesus, save me, forgive me, wash me clean. And those of us who have already been saved, right now would you ask God to give you the strength to hold on to his coming, to hold on, to keep spreading that message so that you'll know who he is. You won't be thrown off by any report. He's still the king of the earth. Jesus, you are king of the earth. Use me, God. Use me, God. Use me, Jesus. I'm a servant even now. We are kings in training. We are priests of God in training to learn to rule the nations with him. A few moments right now. Where do you want to see God's kingdom come and will be done on the earth? I pray for God's kingdom to come into your family and to your, your job, to our nation, to our city. Jesus, start in us. Start in us, O oh God. May, not, may this not just be head knowledge as we go through Revelation, but may it literally be what you said it was supposed to be, a revealing of who you are. Because as we see you for who you are, we will change and become like you. When we can see who you are, we'll be able to see who we are and change. And we'll be able to see what this world really is. We'll be able to see where the things need to change in this world. Because we're seeing it cross-eyed through the view of the cross, through what you did for us. We'll end abortion. We'll end sex trafficking. We'll end racism and corruption. We'll end, oh God, poverty in the name of Jesus. When we get a revelation of who you are, a few more moments. Come on, I want to see you, Jesus. Maybe just close out, please, singing that song. Open the eyes of my heart that I might see you, Jesus. That we might be like you today, transformed by the power of your will, oh God. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes, God. Open the eyes of my heart. Yes, I want to see. If you need prayer before we dismiss for anything, come on up. But especially if you need prayer to get closer to God, to start this year right with Him. Open the eyes.